Alright, good morning. My name is Sam Skaggs, and I'm, I'm a member here at Central. And uh, this morning, I have the privilege of, of preaching and sharing about uh, my time, me and Philip's time, in, in India. So we, we left for India in May, and we were there for five months, and got, got back at the end of September. And so... What I want to share this morning comes from, from that experience, as well as some things that, that I saw um, that God was teaching me in that time. And, uh, and so, to start, I kind of want to help paint a picture in your heads of, of India. Um, so so we, were, we were in a city of over 30 million people. Um, and that's like imp- almost impossible to grasp, right? Um, if you think of Kansas City, it's like 15 times as many people as Kansas City and maybe a quarter of the area. Um, and so to try and... I, I want to try and help us visualize for a minute what, that, what that's like, right? So... Most of us have all been to some kind of big sporting event or uh, concert, something where, where we see like tons of people concentrated in one area, right? So, so get kind of that picture in your head and think about like the hallways that are leading to the, the bathrooms or concessions or something. And so you're walking through there and you've got all these people all around you and you have to weave through people. You have to stand and wait as people are moving. You have to look around people to try to see where you're going, right? All these people doing their own things, okay? So now let's take that to the streets of India where you have this road and it's probably about the size of like a one-way road here in Kansas City, right? But but there it's actually for two-way traffic. So they've got two-way traffic on this road. It's It's also actually parking, so there's parking on the side, um, and it's also the sidewalk, right? So there's no extra room to walk. It's all on the road. Um, but not only that, it's also the marketplace, right? So stalls are everywhere, and it's just like chaos, right? You're constantly weaving through people. You're almost getting run over. People are blaring their horns at you as they drive past you too fast on their motorcycle. Um, it's chaos. And, but in the middle of that chaos, I don't want, to, want you to forget about the people, right? All those people walking the streets. And, and take a moment to realize that, that you're the only one there who knows the gospel. Um, right? All these people busy with their own lives, worshiping false gods false idols, and, and you're there with the good news, the message of hope, um, surrounded by, by people. If you were to stand in one spot, thousands of people would be passing by you, and all of them lost. And so I want us to feel that, that burden, the burden of lostness. And, and we felt that burden. It was It was heavy. And, and as, we, as we thought about the calling to go and make disciples, right, that, was, that was heavy on our hearts and minds. And we did. We went and we proclaimed the gospel and proclaimed the gospel. And we did this over and over again. And five months of, of that every day. And, and nobody, nobody came to faith. And so there's a tension there, a wrestling of I'm here in the midst of complete lostness, trying to be faithful to the message that I've been given, and, and nobody's listening. And the question that we had to wrestle with in the midst of that is, are we doing something wrong? Is, is this what obedience to the Great Commission looks like? 
Do we have the wrong strategy? Um, are we just bad at this? Have we failed? And, and that's the question that I want us to think about this morning as a church. A question that we should think about often. Are we truly being obedient to the Great Commission? And it's easy for us to avoid that question, right? Things, things like our sin creep up on us and, and distract us. Um, our own desire for comfort keeps us from, from wrestling with that burden. Our pride, maybe even our misunderstanding of the gospel. All these things can keep us from being obedient to the Great Commission and keep us even from wrestling with that question, what does obedience look like? In my life today, what does obedience look like? Um, and so that being said, I don't have all the answers to that question. Like, I can't tell you exactly what that looks like in your life. Um, but, but today, I want to show you what I saw in India and, and what I saw in Scripture and, and how I saw that come to light to... That idea of bearing the burden for the lost and being obedient to the Great Commission. Um, I want to talk about what that looks like. Um, what I saw in the book of Acts um, and in, and in our, our time there. So if you want to turn to the book of Acts, we're going to start in chapter 1. And I want to just show you um, what I saw when I was reading through the book of Acts. So go to Acts chapter 1. And we'll start in verse 6. And it says this, it says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. And while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men stood by them in white robes, saying, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus, who was taken up from you into heaven will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. And so here we have this commission. Right? They're, they're asking him, right, is, is now the time? Like, is this what you're doing now? Um, but he said, like, no, there's, there's something else for you to do. Like, the Father is concerned about the time. But as for you, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so this is the commission that they were given. And so now let's look at how they, how they responded. So I'm just going to kind of briefly move through. So immediately after that, it talks about them returning to Jerusalem. And when they got there, they entered the upper room. And if you look at verse 14 of chapter 1, and it's, it says, All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the woman and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. So the first thing they did after getting this commission is they gathered together and they prayed. And so what we see next then is we see them, we see Peter at the day of Pentecost, right? And he stands before the crowd of people and he proclaims the gospel. Um, and Chapter 2, verse, verse 40 through 41, it says, and, and with many other words, he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. And so if the first thing they did was prayer, what followed prayer was then proclamation of the gospel. And so we see them pray, we see them proclaim um, but that's not, that's not it, right? That's the first two chapters of Acts. 
Um, next, we see them continuing to proclaim, and they begin to get a lot of attention, and a lot of not good attention, right? They begin to be persecuted. They're taken up before the council, and in chapter 4, uh, verse, verse 17, it says, But in order that it may spread no further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to anyone in this name. So they called to them and charged them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. And so what we see in this passage is that in the midst of the persecution, they persevered. And so these three things are, are the, three, the three patterns of faithfulness that I saw in the book of Acts. Prayer, proclamation, and perseverance. And what did they persevere in? Well, if we look at verse 31 in chapter 4, it says that, And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. So they persevered in praying and in proclaiming the word of God. And you see it again in in chapter 5. If you go to 5 verse 39... Right. Uh, wait, let me make sure I'm in the right spot. Yeah, yeah. So they're again, again before a council, and and they're they're charged not to speak in the name of Jesus. But it says, when they left the presence of the council, they were rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house. They did not cease teaching and preaching that Christ is Jesus. And so they, they persevered in the work of, of, of proclaiming the gospel. They would pray and proclaim, and they persevered in this work. And so these three things are, are what I want to talk about today, this prayer, proclamation, and perseverance. Um, and I want to talk about how, how we saw those things personally while we were in India and walk through what, what did these patterns look like um, for the early disciples to live, live them out. Um, and the truth is we, we tend to find our own ways to ease the burden of, of the need for the gospel. We tend to, to, yeah, to find our own comforts. Um, but this is the way, this is the pattern that, that the early disciples used to to ease that burden it wasn't it wasn't through ignoring it it wasn't through finding other things to do it was through surrendering that burden in prayer it was through going into the harvest in the midst of the burden and proclaiming and and through persevering in that work so first let's talk about prayer um, if we look at at the pattern that um, of prayer that we see in the book of Acts, I saw three, three main patterns. The first one was that they were quick to pray. Right? We saw that when, when they received the commission, it, immediately they went and prayed. Right? In just chapter 1, verse 14, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Right? And again in chapter 4, when they're called and they're charged not to speak in the name of Jesus. It says, when they were released, in verse 23, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And so prayer for them was an immediate reaction. To all opposition, they turned to prayer. And, and they didn't just do this alone, right? Right? So we see that they were quick to prayer, but we also see that they, they prayed together, right? They gathered together among believers to pray, 
Right? They lifted their voices together to God to pray. Um, and then the last thing we see is that their prayer was a surrendering, a surrendering of, of all these things to God, all their burdens to God. Um, they did that in prayer. And so just to walk through some of those, we can look at some of the things that they prayed for. In, uh, in chapter 4, when they're, when they're told not to preach the gospel, in, in, verse, in verse 29, as they were praying, so chapter 4, verse 29, it says, Now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. And so they, they prayed that they would be bold in evangelism. And so they surrendered their evangelism to God in their prayer. Um, what else do we see? In, in chapter 12, we see Peter's imprisoned. And in 12, verse 5, it says, So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And so when people were in distress, they submitted that to God in prayer. In, in chapter 13... Verses 2 and 3, it says, While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. Right? So they, when they were sending people out, they surrendered that to God. And they, they gave that to God in, in prayer. And we, we have the opportunity to do that very thing today. We're excited to send the Fairchilds out today. And, um, and we know it's not an easy thing, right? We love them, and, and they're a part of our family. Um, but we get to submit that to God today in prayer and send them out, um, knowing that, that it's in, in His hands. And uh, they, they did it as well when they were committing leaders and elders. They committing them to, to God. In chapter 14, verse 23, it says, When they appointed elders for them in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they had believed. Um, and then one more, we see that when they were encouraging believers, and when Paul was, was saying goodbye, he, he would pray for them. So um, Paul is speaking to the Ephesian elders in chapter 20. And it says, when he had said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all. And there was much weeping on the part of all, and they embraced Paul and kissed him. And being sorrowful most of all because of the word he had spoken, that they would not see his face again. And they accompanied him to the ship. And again, when Paul was on the way to Jerusalem, in chapter 21, verse 5, it says, kneeling down on the, be on the beach, we prayed and said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and they returned home. And so all these patterns of prayer, um, we see this, yeah, the call to, to be quick to prayer, to, to gather together to prayer, and then to submit all of these burdens that we bear to God in prayer. And, and the truth is, when we truly sense the burden of the task before us, that drives us to prayer. Right? When we sense our inability to accomplish the work, that drives us to prayer, to submit these things to God. And so when we're ignoring that burden, um, we are often neglecting to pray. Um, and when we're neglecting to pray, that's often a clue that, we have, that we're ignoring the burden of the lost in our lives. Um, in India... There, there's no lack of prayer, right? Five times a day on these speaker phones at all these mosques throughout India, um, you can hear these calls to prayer, right? They're calling out to the Muslims to come pray to a false god in these ritual prayers. Um, there's temples all throughout the city where they're ringing bells. Um, it's pretty annoying, all day long, just ding, 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 ding. And, and in that, and, and in that, they're, 
they're seeking blessing from these false gods, these idols, right? So they're not uh, foreign to the idea of praying, but none of their gods hear their prayers. And we pray to a God that hears our prayers and he answers them. And yet, how often do we neglect prayer? Um, often, as we, as we would go out to proclaim, um, there were many days when we just did not want to do it. Um, we, we, were, we would feel lazy or tired or just exhausted, discouraged, because we have the same conversations every single day. People have the same rejections. Um, and it felt hopeless in a lot of ways that nobody's ever going to accept this message. Um, but on those days when we were, we were most hopeless, we would, we would always turn to God in prayer. We would, we would confess those, those feelings of, of that lack of desire to proclaim. And we would ask God that he would give us opportunities to be faithful that he would give us boldness to proclaim that. There was one day we were walking about two kilometers to, to an area near, nearby one of our national partners' homes. And it was so hot that day. We were walking just like in the middle of the day. Um, sand was like just hitting us in the face the whole time. And we did not want to be there. Um, and... Uh, but we took the time to pray, prayed for, for boldness, we prayed for opportunities. And as we got near to the place, we stopped at this little park right outside the area that we were going into and just sat for a little bit. And there were these kids playing in the park. And so we were talking with them and showing them different things. And um, a couple guys would come up and we like tried to share with them. They, they weren't very interested. Um, but then this other guy showed up and... I thought he was so weird. I I did not want to want to talk to him really. He he like had me beatbox for him, and then he wanted to rap, and so it was. I was just like, this is a waste of time. This is weird. We need to get out of here and go find people who want to hear us. But um, but in thinking that the guy, so the guy invites us to his house, and so I'm still thinking like, oh, we got to find a way to get away from this guy. Um, like, he's just going to waste all our time. Um, but we went with him, and he took us to, to his, like, brother's tailor shop. And so we sit in there, and it was just his brother, um, his brother's son, and him. And we got to walk through the whole gospel with him. And um, we got to give them a, a book of Matthew. And uh, that's the first time they had ever seen it or read it. And we got to yeah, just reason with them um, about the scriptures. And, and so we did that. We, we got them the book of, the, of Matthew. We, we got their numbers and uh, we're trying to, to find ways to meet up with them again. And, and we left and, and went looking for other people. But the same guy was like, no, come, come to my sister's house. So then we're like, okay. So we, we go to his sister's house and... He has like five or six sisters there and one of their husbands and one of their kids. And again, we proclaimed the whole gospel to them and walked through and reasoned with them through the scriptures. And and this was not just like a rare occurrence. Like um, it was often those days when we did not want to be there um, and that we surrendered that to God. Those were the days that that God just gave us people to proclaim the gospel to. Um, yeah, we, who knows what it would have been like if we were just wandering the streets looking for people, but God just laid these people in our laps and said, proclaim the gospel. And, and I wish I could say that's the only time that we felt that way, that we didn't want to proclaim. But um, to our shame, maybe that was more common than, than not. And, but, but through that, we saw God's faithfulness and, and bringing us people to proclaim the gospel to. And, uh, and God was always faithful to answer our, our prayers, to, to, uh, to bring us people to proclaim the gospel to. And so with that, 
I just want to say briefly, like, what, what should we expect from prayer? Um, a couple weeks ago, Samuel talked through the Psalm, Psalm 115. And in that psalm, it talks about the idols that, that people are praying to. It says they have ears but do not hear, right? But in the very next psalm, Psalm 116, verses 1 and 2, it says, I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy because he has inclined his ear to me. Therefore, I will call on him as long as I live. And God has promised us that, that he hears our prayers and, and he does answer them. And it doesn't always look like what we want the answer to look like, but he does answer them. And so my hope for us is that we are people who pray, that our first response to all situations would be in prayer, that we would gather together and pray as we do on, on Wednesday nights. Um, and yeah, that we would be people who would spontaneously pray with each other. And uh, we would surrender all things to, to God, the, the Lord of the harvest, right? Um, because our failure to pray is often a sign that we are neglecting to feel and, and to, to feel the burden of the lost and, and the command to obey the Great Commission. All right, so that's, there's prayer. And uh, the next pattern that I want to talk about is proclamation. All right, so proclamation throughout the book of Acts is, seems to be a natural following of their prayer. Um, and when we think about the many images that the Bible gives for proclaiming, we often see things like fruitfulness or, or harvest, harvesting. And if, and if we think about the harvest and, and we think of a farmer, um, if we think of a farmer who buys a field and he begins praying, like, let there be a harvest. And, and he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays and he prays, but nothing ever happens. Because he never walked into the field to, to work the field for the harvest. And it's not that God couldn't make a harvest without his work. But it's that God created the means for a harvest to come from laboring in the field. And, and in the same way, God has created the means for people to know him, to come to faith through the proclamation of the gospel. And... Uh, so let's, let's dive into Acts and see what did it look like for them to proclaim. So, so the first thing I want to point out is that everyone was proclaiming the gospel. Um, if we look in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31, it says, So after they were just charged not to, not to speak in the name of Jesus, the apostles came to the believers, to their friends. It says, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God. And, when they, and in 31, it says, When they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered was shaken, and they were, all, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they all continued to speak the word of God with boldness. All right, so everyone was speaking the word of God with boldness. Again, we see in chapter 8, verses 1 through 4, so this is right after Stephen was, was martyred. And it says, There arose a great persecution against the church in, in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Right? So the ones that are scattered, the, it was the church in Jerusalem, everyone except the apostles. And then in verse 4, it says, Now those who were scattered, right, the church in Jerusalem except the apostles, went about preaching the word. And so we see that it's not just the apostles that were preaching the word. Here we see that it was all that church in Jerusalem that was scattered went about preaching the word. And then, and then we also see, just in, in the life of Paul, um, Paul was, was converted on the, on the road to Damascus, and he went to Ananias, and he was baptized. And then it says, immediately... In chapter 9, verse 20, immediately he proclaimed the Jesus in the synagogue, saying, He is the Son of God. And so this is, this is before he was sent out by the church. Um, this was just immediately following his conversion. 
And so this idea that we should all be proclaiming the gospel. Um, another thing I want to point out about proclamation is that, that Paul and the believers had habits of, of proclaiming the gospel. Um, what I was expecting when I went to India was that, that we would have moments more like Peter. Right? Peter stood in front of crowds of people and he would proclaim the gospel and everybody, you, you would, they would say things like they were cut to the heart or 3,000 souls were added that day. And so that's what I was wanting to happen, right? Um, but it often looked a lot more like what Paul was doing. Um, and by that, I mean, in, in chapter 17, it says, when they had passed through Am- Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews, and Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. In chapter 18, verse 4, when he's in Corinth, it says he, rent, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. In chapter 19, verse 8, also in Corinth, it says he entered the synagogue and for three months spoke boldly, reasoning and persuading them about the kingdom of God. In Athens, in, in chapter 17, it says he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and the devout persons and in the marketplace every day with those who happen to be there. And so, so we see that Paul is putting him, himself in places to proclaim the gospel daily, right? This is, this is something that, um, that it's not just one-time occurrences or once a month or he's not seeing all this fruit and that's um, keeping him going. It's, he's going every day reasoning with the people um, and putting himself in places to proclaim the gospel. Um, but we also see this pattern of the people going around them. Um, it says in, in chapter 5, verse 42, and every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the Christ is Jesus. And so as a church, we, we have this mission to see our neighbors come to Christ. And this is, this is a biblical desire, right? Um, and, and as we think about this, we, we want to see how, how can we begin to build these customs of, of proclaiming into our lives, right? These habits of proclaiming. Um, so just a few things that I, I have listed here is, well, one, our church has weekly EV times. So you can go together with the church into our neighborhoods to proclaim the gospel. Um, you could build in rhythms into your schedule that, of being among the lost, right? So maybe you decide once, once a week you're going to go eat at a restaurant that, that's run by unreached people, an unreached people group. Or maybe, maybe you'll plan to, to go to a coffee shop or a tea shop where you know that unbelievers gather. Or places like the Riverside Market, right, where lots of people are there um, every weekend. And, and lots of people who you could reason with, whoever is there, whoever is willing to hear you. You can go to your neighbors, right, go across the street, um, and, and invite them in, invite them into to the church, invite them to know the gospel. Um, but also, you can use your current rhythms, right? We, uh, we're, we're all among the lost every day, right? We go to work, we wait in lines, we go to the same waiting rooms, we go to the same parks, the same coffee shops, of, of the same grocery stores um, of lost people. And yet so often we're just, we have our blinders on and we, and we avoid um, speaking with the lost. Um, and so I was thinking like, like so often we have these habits um, that, that we tend to do what is, what is most comfortable, right? So we kind of naturally form these habits of, of comfort. Um, if, if you watch people who go in a waiting room and sit down or standing in a line, it's almost like the, the immediate reaction is just to pull out your phone 
right? Because it's awkward, you're waiting. It's not comfortable to, to be around people who are all waiting for something. Um, and, and our habit tends to be that we would find some way to distract us. Um, but what if instead we had a habit of engaging them um, with, the, with the good news of the gospel? Um, and the truth is we, we, tend to, we tend to want to avoid the burden of the lost, right? We want to we put it off and ignore it because it calls us to obedience. It calls us to respond. And, and what, what better way to remind us of that burden than to be among the lost proclaiming the gospel? And so I've talked about the patterns of proclaiming, but I also want to go into a little bit what, what, what were they proclaiming? Right? Because, um, yeah, we don't want to just be proclaiming anything. But, if, and just briefly, what we see them proclaiming is that um, Jesus is the, is the Christ, the Son of God. Right? We see them proclaiming this message of fulfillment from the Old Testament to the New Testament of how Jesus is the fulfillment of all things. Um, I don't want to go through all the passages, there's so many of them. Um, where we see Peter or Paul or Stephen walking through the story of, of creation to Christ and how, how he fulfills all those things. And so, and so in order to do that, we do need to know Scripture. And uh, there's, a, there's a couple cool tools I just want to throw out there that, that can help you um, kind of begin to see that storyline but also to help you in, in proclaiming that. Um, so, so these three that I have here, and there's many more, but these three, there's a story, Creation to Christ. Um, you, could learn, you could learn and read that. There's the sacrifice story. Um, and there's a, t- a tool called Any Three. So all, all of these tools are, are helpful for just laying out what is, what is the storyline of Scripture and how do we proclaim that. Um, but also we see that, that often Paul uses his own personal testimony. And, and the great thing is, if, is if, if we've encountered God in our life, then we all have a personal testimony of that. And so Paul often tell, tells the people how, how, God, how he encountered God and how that changed his life. Um, and so an easy way to, to do that is just with a three-minute testimony. Right, so to tell people one minute of what was your what was your life like before Christ? Um, what were your sins? What what did you struggle with? Where what was your hope? Um, and then to walk through one minute of your encounter with Christ. How did you come to hear the gospel and accept it? And then one minute of how that has changed your life. And so that's just a simple tool to help you. And proclaiming the gospel through your personal testimony. Um, and then one more, one more way that I think is important to mention that of the way that people heard the gospel was through miraculous encounters with God. Right? So Paul is an example of this. But there's also Cornelius, a Gentile, um, who hadn't heard of Christ. Um, there's the Ethiopian eunuch. Um, and many more. People who, who, who were drawn um, to Christ through miraculous encounters. But in each one of these, um, they were all led to a believer who proclaimed to them the gospel. Right? So Paul was led to Ananias. Cornelius, um, Peter came to Cornelius. Right? The Ethiopian eunuch met Philip on the road. And, and in all these in- instances, the, the believer proclaimed the gospel to them. And taught them about baptism and helped them walk through in obedience to that. And so we see the way that God miraculously works um, and how he uses believers even in those miraculous encounters. Right? But, he, but here's kind of the kicker, right? We, we could do all this right, for five months and nobody might come to, to accept the message. Right? We could do this for five years. And not see any fruit. Um, because. It's the. Um, 
Yeah, because, because it's not us um, that does the work of, of growing the fruit, right? We are seed, sowing the seeds, we're watering, um, but it's the Lord that brings the harvest. And so that brings us to our last pattern of perseverance, right? This idea that, that we're persevering through our prayer and through continuing to proclaim the gospel, And uh, so I want to talk about what are the ways that, that they persevered, right? That the disciples persevered in the book of Acts. Well, the first is that they, pers- they could persevere because they knew God's promises. Um, if you, uh, so in Acts chapter 14, verse 22, right? Paul, there's this crazy story where Paul is beat and stoned and he's, the Jews think he's dead, so they kick him out of the city, right? And the disciples come and gather around him, and then it says the next day he traveled, right? So this guy who everyone thought was dead just gets up and, and goes. And then it says he comes to the disciples. And in, in verse 22 of chapter 14, it says, Strengthening the souls of the disciples and encouraging them to continue in the faith and saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And, and in that, there's, there's kind of two promises we see, right? Um, the first one is that there will be many tribulations. Um, but the second promise far outweighs the tribulations, right? He says, we will enter the kingdom of God. And what a great promise that is. And that's the promise that, that allowed them to persevere in the work. Um, Right? They knew God's promises. Um, but not only did they know God's promises, they also knew and expected difficulty. Right? Saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And so they persevered through the difficulty. But even in the midst of that, they, they didn't lose the burden for the task. Right? In uh, chapter 20, verse 24 says, but I do not account my life of any value, nor as precious to myself, if only I may finish my course in the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. And so we even see Paul persevering in bearing that burden for the lost, that he would not lose sight of what he was called to do. Um, And so... So we see the perseverance of that they, um, they were able to persevere because they knew God's promises. They expected difficulty. They persevered in bearing the burden. Um, but we also see that they took every opportunity to encourage one another. And we see this so much in the life of Paul. Every time he's gathering with, with believers, it talks about him encouraging them. Um, in Acts 20, verse I'm just going to read through this list um, of a few different ways, a few different times where we see Paul encouraging the believers. It says, Therefore, be alert, remembering that for three years I did not cease night or day to admonish everyone with tears. And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. In chapter 20, it says, After the uproar ceased, Paul sent for the disciples. And after encouraging them, he said farewell and departed from Macedonia. When he had gone through those regions and had given them much encouragement, he came to Greece. Um, we see in, in Acts chapter 14, 26 through 28, it says, And from there they sailed to Antioch, where they had been commended to the grace of God for the work that they had fulfilled. And when they arrived and the church gathered together, they declared all that God had done for them. And how they had opened the door of faith to the Gentiles. And they remained no little time with the disciples. Right? Seeking to encourage them. In chapter 15, um, 30 through 37, it says, When they were sent off, they went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they had spent some time... 
They were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Paul and Barnabas remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. And so um, that, that alone just fascinates me that they had this desire to go back in all these places that they had proclaimed the gospel just to see how, how they're doing. Um, just to be an encouragement to them. Chapter 16, verse 38 says, So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. And, um, yeah, so we see this, this desire to encourage one another. Um, when we were in India, we had, had the opportunity to travel to, to a village. And there we met... Um, a Muslim background believer, a young, young man who had just recently come to faith, and uh, the only one in the village. Right? His, his family beat him for his faith, um, and he, he had no other believers living there with him, except for one national partner who would come out there and meet with him every once in a while. And so we had this opportunity to meet with him, and, and one thing that he told me was... That on the days that he was most discouraged, um, he, would, he would find YouTube videos of, of churches gathering together and worshiping God together. And, and that just really hit me. Um, just to think about how often we neglect the value of having believers to gather with and to worship God together with and encourage one another with. Um, like how many Sunday mornings do we spend thinking more about what we're going to do after church than, than the time that we spend together with believers? Um, yeah. But we see this, this need for perseverance, right? And the need for, for each other in the perseverance. Um, and just briefly in, in Hebrews... In chapter 10, verse 23 through 25, we see it clearly laid out. It says, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Um, So let us be people who stir one another up, who remind each other of the promises of God, who, who gather together and, and encourage, encourage one another. Um, and so, as we conclude, I just want to go back to that, that commissioning um, verse in, in chapter 1. And, and, I want, and I want us all to, to be reminded of that burden, that burden for the lost. Um, And to, yeah, to feel the, the call of this on our lives. It says, when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? And he said, it's not for you to know. The times are the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you, Central Baptist, will be my witnesses in the Northeast will be my witnesses to the, to the Burmese Muslims, to the Afghans, to the Somalis, to Kansas City, to, to the Middle East, right, to South, Southeast Asia, to, to Madagascar, and to the ends of the earth. And when he had said these things as they were looking on, he was lifted up. And a cloud took him out of their sight, and while they were gazing into heaven as he went, behold, two men, two men stood by them in white robes and said, Men of Galilee, said, Central Baptist, why do you stand looking into heaven? This Jesus who is taken up from you into heaven will come back in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Um, and so let us be people 
who, who sense this burden for the lost, who are eagerly waiting for and expecting that, that day that he is returning. Um, and let us bow down to the Lord of the harvest in prayer. Let us, let us walk in obedience into the fields um, to proclaim the gospel to the lost. And let us persevere in this work together um, until that day when, when Christ returns. So pray with me, and we'll finish. Uh, Heavenly Father, thank you for, for this day. Thank you for this example that you've given us all throughout the book of Acts that, that we might look to and, and see um, this, this call to, to be people of prayer, to be people of, of proclamation, to sh- proclaim and be witnesses of the gospel um, and to persevere in that, that, that work until the day when you come and, and, uh, and you restore and you create the new heavens and the new earth. And so Father, give us boldness. Give us a, a sense of the burden, a burden of the call um, that we might go out and be bold in the gospel that we might teach and reason with people daily um, to come to you. Um, Give us, remind us of our hope, remind us of the promises that you've given us and uh, help us to to be people who would would not neglect the gathering together but but would seek to encourage and admonish one each each other daily. Um, yeah, lead us in these things. I pray even that as we go out today, that, that we would feel the burden for the lost, that, that we would not neglect um, that burden and that call. But I pray that, that you would give us boldness today. pray these things in the name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Yeah,